My beloved in Jesus Christ our Lord, it is good for us to be here this day. This day that we in our own little community here on Beacon Hill are celebrating the fact that we have a a beatified bishop martyr, blessed um, Yohan Suchu. So we're still trying to see if we can get a relic. It's a little too early for that. But uh, Sean Doyle's been keeping me abreast of everything and saw pictures of of Dominic Suchu there with dignitaries and and, um, saw the picture of uh, Bishop Blessed Bishop Yohan's uh, vestments or his cassocks and his riasa and his hat. and So it's exciting because we have a Northwest connection to a martyred bishop. So I'm a little giddy about that. It's not every day that I can touch someone who is related to a martyr. So now I'm going to really be... Maybe something will come through. Anyway. There are two sides to every story. There are two sides to every coin. There are two sides to every Byzantine cross. And there are two sides to Jesus. That's what we call an intention grabber. Attention grabber, the hook. We have been celebrating a marvelous feast, the Feast of the Ascension. And many of you were not here for that feast, so I need to reiterate what we talked about on that feast. The Feast of the Ascension, as you listen to the prayers, the hymnography of the church, the canons of matins and the sticharia of vespers, it's going on and on and on about the glory and dignity given to our humanity being raised, as St. Leo the Great would say, above the angels and archangels and all the thrones and principalities, and seated at the right hand of the Father. Our humanity, what you and I have, is at the right hand of the Father right now, and it's not consumed. That's a great mystery. Now Jesus was trying to make sure that all his disciples knew that he was a man. Real flesh and blood. So on his resurrection, we hear on the gospel of the Feast of the Ascension, we hear about Jesus appearing to them. (coughs) And they're all distraught. There he is, the man they saw die on the cross, or they heard about it because they left is standing in their midst. Is it a ghost? Is it an apparition? What is it? And Jesus wanted to put their fears to an end and wanted to press home the point that he was still human. And so he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of fish and he ate. Because see, spirits, apparitions, ghosts don't eat. He wanted to make sure they knew that he was fully man. The church has been stressing this point, and that's the celebration of the Feast of the Ascension, as if this man, Jesus, who is true God and true man, took our humanity, elevated in glory and dignity, and brought it to the realm of the heavenly kingdom above the relationship of angels to the very presence of God the Father, and there enthroned in our midst. 
And thus, it is our source of deification is through him. How fortuitous of us is that there's another side of this. We've heard now, we talked this feast about the feast of the humanity of Jesus being raised and elevated to the heavenly kingdom. But what about the other side? The divinity. The divine logos. The word of God. The fathers of the church gave us this particular Sunday to follow on the heels of the Feast of the Ascension. It used to be on the May 29th, but Ascension kept following, falling on that date quite often. So they moved it to the Sunday after the Feast of the Ascension. The Feast of the First Ecumenical Council of Nicaea in 325. Now this council came up with many things. It discussed and discerned and made many directives, many canons. It fixed the date of how we figure how Pascha falls. It told us in Canon 20, as all of you know, that on Canon 20 of the First Ecumenical Council, there is to be no kneeling on Sundays. This is an ecumenical council of the entire church, the universal church. It's a day of glory. Also, it says in that same Canon 20, that there is no kneeling from, Pente from Pascha to Pentecost. This is a time of celebration. But more importantly is why the council was convened. Most of us know the story of a priest who was trying to defend uh, against a Sabellian heresy. God was acting in modalism, but he made a fatal flaw. Arius, in his defense, what he thought was defending, ended up taking Christ's divinity and saying it did not exist. Jesus was not with the Father before all ages. The divine word of God, excuse me. The Son of God was not with the Father before all ages. There was a time when the word of Son of God was not. The councils recognized the great danger in that. Because if you don't get your understanding right, the application in our lives won't be right. So they held the council. And through the great efforts of men like St. Athanasius the Great, we would come to understand who Jesus is. Who the Son of God is. And they would give us that great document, that great monument of faith, the Nicene-Constantinople Creed. A creed that gives us a fence in which we can explore and come to understand God, but a means to keep us outside or keep us from getting outside and running into danger, as did Arius. Arius says that when with Jesus, he was just a human being that the great incarnation of the divine Logos did not incarnate himself in the womb of the Virgin Mary. And if this were true, if Jesus was just a great man, a man with great um, 
divine attributes. He could heal the sick, raise the dead. But if he was not divine, then you and I, as St. Athanasius would say, are not saved. There is no salvation. There is no life after death. The fathers recognized this. Held the council with 300 and some bishops. To come to an understanding and clearly pass on who Jesus is. Now in our gospel today, and in our gospel on Friday, Jesus is going on and on and on to his disciples, explaining his relationship with the Father. I and the Father, I, Father, give me the glory I had with you in the beginning. I and the Father are one. And at one point on Friday's Gospel, Philip finally said, Jesus, just show us the Father and that will be enough. Jesus says, Philip, have I been with you so long and you still don't know me? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So the fathers came up with this term to help us come to some fragment of an understanding of the relationship between the Father and the Son and eventually the Holy Spirit as well by the third council, second council. That there is something that makes God God. They call that usia, his essence, whatever that is that makes God who he is. But yet, God is three persons. Not one God acting like Sibelius said. One time God would act as God the Father. Sometimes he would act as God the Son. Sometimes he'd act as God as the Holy Spirit. No, that's modalism. That's a heresy. There is one God in three persons sharing the same essence, and yet they're distinct in their relationship with one another. Read St. Maximus's confessor, The Works on Love, and he goes on like three pages about the Father's not the Son, the Son is not the Father, and on and on and on to make sure we clearly understand this. So we have this relationship of the Son with the Father. And yet He's fully God. So when Jesus is incarnated, He can say, I and the Father are one because we share that same equity, that same essence that makes us God. Yet I am distinct. I am Son by being begotten. And the Holy Spirit is God distinct by being, by proceeding. The fathers gave us all of this in an incredible document, an incredible monument of faith that we should all commit to memory or be extremely familiar with it. And that's the Nicene-Constantinople Creed. That we pray every divine liturgy. I'm only going to read the first part which has to do with what the First Council dealt with. The Holy Spirit, that part came later. But this is important. This is important. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth and all things visible and invisible. The fathers put 
God the Father first as the monarch, the principle of unity. But they're all equal. And then it goes on. And in one Lord, Jesus Christ, Son of God, now they're going to press the point. Only begotten, born of the Father before all ages, they're trying to say that He's always existed, refuting Arius, Arian, the Arian heresy. He's light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made in one essence with the Father. He is the same thing the Father is, yet He's distinct. And that He is Son. Now they want to make sure we have a clear understanding that He is also a man, this person Jesus through whom all things were made. For us men and for our salvation, he came down from heaven and was incarnate from the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary and became man. He was crucified for us under Pontius Pilate and suffered and was buried. So we can say God died in the flesh, in the flesh of Jesus. So oftentimes in our Eastern liturgies, in our, in our writings, you'll come across God died in the flesh the flesh of Jesus, because God himself did not die. And he rose again on the third day according to the scriptures, and then he ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he's going to come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will be no end. That's what they formulated for the generations to follow of our faith. It is that understanding which is the concrete foundation of which you and I are gathered here today. That Jesus is both truly God, fully God, and truly man, fully man. That Jesus did not, or God the Father did not come into a body that was soulless and had no will. He took a body, had a full will, complete soul. Full human, fully divine. And yet one did not blend into the other and take over the other. They were both in perfect harmony, in synergy, the, Greeks would, the word would be used. And that is the only means possible that we could have salvation. If Jesus was just a man, as the Arians would say, then we are not saved. Because man cannot save himself. If Jesus was merely divine in an apparition in the form of a man, but not truly a man, we are not saved. Because what is not assumed is not saved, the fathers tell us. We need both sides. As I said on the Feast of the Ascension, there was only one way our salvation could take place. There was no other way. Our God is a perfect God. He only does things perfectly. And the only perfect way to bring about our salvation was that His Son, who is equal in essence with Himself, would take flesh from a virgin and be born a man so that He could take our humanity and die in it and that He could take our humanity and raise it up again, destroying death. And that He could take our humanity and raise it up in glory to the right hand of the Father and be enthroned on high forever.
This is our faith. This is what we believe and this is what we profess. I remember sharing some years ago, I had a conversation with a good friend of mine, a college friend, and he works in ministry at a non-denominational church in Tacoma. And we were there with another Catholic friend of ours. We got into a dialogue, a theological dialogue. And I couldn't figure out in my conversations with him, we were, we weren't meshing, we were missing what was going on. I couldn't figure it out until he made one statement, one phrase that brought it all to light. He was telling my friend, Oh, God the Father, God the Son, they're the same person. Ah, modalism. Modalism. He did not have an understanding of Trinity that you and I do. So his understanding of salvation is different. Know your faith. Cling to the creed. If you have any misconceptions or any doubts, read and pray over the creed. It is that document of faith on which we stand. And so on this Sunday, the Sunday of the First Ecumenical Council, we give thanks to those fathers for convening and for dialoguing and for being attentive to the Holy Spirit as it brought these truths together in a manner that you and I could come to understand and a means to keep us safe in the storms of all the heresies that have existed and will continue to exist. St. Paul said in our epistle today that wolves will come among you and they have come in packs trying to strip us to have false teachings come in of who Jesus is and thus change our understanding of salvation. But we stand on the true faith. And for that, we give thanks to God because we're in continuity with the fathers that have gone before us. We celebrate them. We give thanks to God the Father for sending us His Son. So when we speak of salvation, there is no salvation without Jesus. True God and true man. For he who has seen Him has seen the Father.